When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. And it's a brand new month, and we are ready to go on the Big Fight Weekend preview. We're back. We're here. Uh, we are ready for a heavyweight clash on a Sunday night of Labor Day weekend involving former Unified, briefly, heavyweight champ Andy Ruiz against two-time challenger and loser, unfortunately for him, against Deontay Wilder, Luis King Kong Ortiz. But both these guys can crack. They can throw big punches. They're in the ring against each other. It's the main event uh, for uh, Premier Boxing Champions in Fox Sports. We're going to talk about that fight, the other fights on the undercard, and much more in the preview mode. We've got news of the week. We've got a special guest and more uh, to get to on the show. I am merely the somewhat capable host. He is our insider, our content partner on BigFightWeekend.com. Uh, we say hello again to Dan Rayfield. Happy September, and we are ready for some action this weekend, some action throughout this month. How you feeling as we go into the preview mode? I'm good. It's the, the, I don't love the fact that the fall is here, but at least the good boxing schedule will uh, reconvene for the next few weeks. Yes. So we think, especially in September, building up to a Canelo Triple G fight in a few weeks and some other good action too, September and October, uh, to get to. Once again, however you found us, social media link through Dan's Substack, the Fight Freaks Unite Substack, through the Big Fight Weekend website. Make sure you're following or subscribing. For example, Brother Rayfield knows this. He scored an opportunity to talk to both WBA World Light Heavyweight Champion Dimitri Bivol, and his number one challenger and the guy that he's fighting coming up in November, uh, Gilberto Zerto Ramirez. Those guys were made available midweek. They were having their kickoff press conference, which we're going to talk more about in a second, uh, in the United Arab Emirates. Their fight is coming in November. Dan got a chance to talk to both of them. We created a special podcast where you could hear about 15 minutes, 12 to 15 minutes of those guys talking. If you were following and subscribing, kids, you got that automatically without having to hear from us. You got a notification, you got a light, you got a vibrate, a, a ding, whatever, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, on this Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You found out about that. And Dan and I will talk more about what he discussed with those guys as that title fight is now set. They're now promoting it. We'll talk more about it. In a few in a few moments, we got lots of news. Uh, again, I teased it. Clarissa Shields. Uh, we'll hear from her. Dan talked to her. Dan's been uh, busier uh, right <laughs> now than a beehive with getting this stuff done. Uh, so we, I mean, uh, we're anxious to hear from her because she's got an undisputed title fight of her own that is upcoming against Savannah Marshall in England. You'll hear from her in a little bit. News of the week: We had a death of a prominent heavyweight contender from the '70s, especially. <laughs> in the acorn Ernie shavers that we're going to talk about. And we got to get to the previews of the fights. 
Is this going to be a three-hour show to get to all of this? We're going to try. You to know, if it goes three hours, if, if you're subscribing, it's all free. So it's yeah. not like they, you know, they got to pay by the hour. No That's true. We do not charge for this. Uh, although uh, in some in some occasions, Raphael wants to charge me for his time for the <laughs> uh, the annoyance uh, here on this. All right. So so news of the week. Let's get to some of it. As I mentioned, let's just begin right there. Bevo will defend his WBA 175 pound crown. Uh, he and it was harder for Zerto to get to the Middle East. Uh, Bevo from Russia to get to the Middle East. I assume, unless he was in the United States, maybe he was. I don't know. No, he they, was. He was at home in. Uh, he's uh, actually he was actually training in Kyrgyzstan. There we go. Where he was. So they where he was both, born. They both made their way uh, to the UAE to Abu Dhabi for this kickoff press conference. Uh, all right, so they've gotten things underway. And you got a chance to talk to them again. It's the previous thing on this podcast feed. If you want to hear all the answers, but Dan, just give me an overall thought because you saw them on the video yes. zoom. You saw their body language, et cetera. What did you think of champion B and number one contender Zerto? I mean, they were not together. They were in separate, you know, they did, you know, uh, Dimitri was in one room uh, with his manager, Vadim Kornilov. And I guess a few other folks, uh, one of the people from the zone that was there uh, helping out in terms of the PR. And then after they were done, they went to a different room where they had uh, Zerto Ramirez and uh, Eric Gomez, the president of Golden Boy Promotions. His promoter was there. Uh, and, uh, you know, both guys were, listen, one thing about Dimitri Bivol and Zerto Ramirez is that as top fighters go, they're pretty chill guys. They're, they're, they're pleasant people to deal with. They're, they, they're not, uh, they don't big time you. They don't have a scowl on their face. They're, they're, I find them to be very humble nice kind of guys. And, and that's how they speak. You don't hear them say bad things about their opponents or, you know, say bad things or, you know, I know they, you know, it's Zerto, for example, has a history of his, his uh, problems when he was a kid getting in trouble and that sort of stuff. But as an adult and now as a prize fighter, you know, he's not a troublemaker. I mean, they come to their fights in shape and they come to just win the fight. There's not a lot of nonsense. And, and that's how they come across when they speak. Both guys are excited for the fight. Both guys view it as a challenge. They were respectful to the other guy. You know, I did question, uh, I did question uh, Zerto about the notion that because it took so much for his team to get uh, Bebo to sign on the dotted line because they were looking to do other fights and, you know, were kind of not really seemingly interested in the fight. You know, my question, one of my questions to him, and they can listen to it was, do you feel like he wants to fight you or he was forced to fight you? And, uh, you know, what he said was sort of interesting, you know, but we had the the two fighters were 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 well spoken on what they had to say. They both obviously expect to win the fight. Uh, and I just tell you one thing, TJ. I know it may not be the hyped up kind of matchup of a of a Golovkin and Canelo, or you know a, a big heavyweight championship fight, or something along those lines, or even the prospect, let's say, of a Crawford and a Spence uh, down the road in the fall. But as the fall schedule is put together, I must tell you that just from a uh, from a fan point of view, mm -hmm. I'm totally pumped up for this fight. I have a, I think it's going to be. Maybe not. It's, I'm not saying it's going to be like Gaddy Ward in terms of action, but right. at a high level between top, top guys in their division who are very talented, who can punch, who are good boxers, who have good resumes, uh, who are in their prime. They're both 31 years old. Neither guy can be viewed as, you know, this guy's, you know, over the hill in terms of being uh, not what he once was. They're both at their best in my mind. And it's going to be a dynamite fight, I think. Really good. I mean, it's in an exotic location for your average uh, world title fight. Abu Dhabi's never hosted a world title fight, to my knowledge. Uh, Zerto spoke about that in the press conference a little bit. Um, just a great fight. And by the way, uh, Matchroom Boxing announced some of the undercard fights. One of them is Joe Cordinia against uh, Rakimov uh, for the uh, his 130-pound title. That's a pretty good fight also. And there's a, 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 a women's uh, a title fight on there. So 
they're putting together a good show and the main event is obviously tremendous jessica mccaskill is in that uh that women's oh yeah she's dropping fight. down yeah she's the undisputed women's welterweight champion and she's going down to challenge the two belt champion Chantel cameron for her two titles so if you're a, if you're a women's boxing fan, I mean, actually, it doesn't have to be women. I mean, that's just a good matchup for, uh, you know, for boxing. Those are both talented uh, women. Uh, McCaskill, she's been a hell of a fighter for a while. And and uh, and the other woman, she's unified titles and she's uh, been doing damage. So that's a good matchup also if, if you're into that, too. So a good card. And by the way, not pay-per-view, regular old zone. So, I mean, it's all good. We love all of that. Um, and again, great job with those conversations. They can go back and hear those. I love Beeple does very well with answering in English. Uh, mm-hmm. He gave you a couple of eloquent answers. And he even joked when you were talking about Azurdo uh, and Canelo and Mexicans, he even joked back with you. Well, they, they are both Mexican, but that's about it. Something to that effect, you know, well, because the, the they're, question different. Was, they're different. Right. Because they're, they're, they're so different. You know, he's coming off the, the Canelo fight going into a Beeple fight. In Canelo, you're fighting a more orthodox, standard fighter. You know, nothing fancy about how he moves around. He's right-handed, shorter than you, coming up in weight. And in, in Zerto, you're fighting a much taller guy who's a southpaw who mm-hmm. has come up from 168 but has been at 175 knocking guys out for the last uh, couple of years. Uh, totally different kind of styles. And as you said, the one difference or the one commonality he, he, he said between them was they're both Mexican. That's about it. On the styles. All right. So there, there's a lot of time to build that one up. Good stuff. Can't wait for that, that fight. All right. Now, a purse bid was also held, uh, and Lou DeBella ended up winning the purse bid for the light heavyweight eliminator fight that involves uh, Buatzi. And t- tell me more about this because it's kind of intriguing here that this was the guy, Buatzi, that was trying to fight Bivol and it didn't work out and they had a purse bid. So straighten it out for us, Dan. Right. So Buatzi and Bivol are both with Matchroom Boxing. And and after the Canelo victory and Canelo opting to take on the Triple G third fight, the idea was that the WBA would order the mandatory between Azurdo and Bivol. But Eddie Hearn, on behalf of Buatzi and his own company, went to the WBA and tried to get uh, an exception so uh, Bivol could instead fight Buatzi. He was an up-and-coming contender, undefeated, was an Olympian, uh, you know, top, you know, uh, rising contender in the weight class. Uh, they slapped him down and said, no, they ordered the mandatory. So he's now fighting Bivol. And so Boatsy goes from the prospect of fighting for the title against Bivol on a big matchroom card. But they ordered him instead to fight an IBF eliminator against the former champion, John Pascal from Canada. Uh, obviously a much older fighter. Uh, you know, m- most people would say past his prime, although still fighting at a pretty good level. If you watched his last win against uh, Men Fanlong, he did a good job in that fight. And it was a highly entertaining fight. But anyway, so they had the purse for this eliminator. Um, uh, Pascal, by the way, one fight removed from a, uh, a lengthy suspension for multiple PD, PED failures, a story that I broke that caused him to get very mad at me and, uh, and curse me out a few times. But that's a different story for a different day. Anyway, DeBella won wait, the wait, first. Wait. As if it is your fault that he took enough PEDs to fail five drug tests, it's your fault that you reported it? I mean, give me a break. Go on. He failed several drug tests. I don't yes. remember who's in the lead, if it's either him or Gerald Miller, but they're yes. close. Right. Uh, in any event, uh, Lou DeBella who is now working with, who this was not known beforehand, but he has been friendly with Pascal and Pascal's manager for a number of years. And they came to Lou and asked him to help them out with this person because he didn't have, have a promoter. And Lou uh, bid a number he felt he could live with and work a deal out that would make sense. So he bid $975,000. And the only other bidder was Buatzi's promoter, which was Eddie Hearn, who bid $875,000. And it was kind of a surprise that, 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 um, that Eddie would lose that purse bid. And the reason is because, number one, on the split, it's 60-40 in Buatzi's favor. So he had 10% more of the money to play with. And number two, 
Boise is the younger up and coming guy with the big future, the undefeated fighter right. who the zone has been backing with Eddie, obviously, and fighting main events and has become a bit of a draw in London, etc. And they lost by a hundred thousand dollars. And now Boise, who's been a stalwart of the zone since Eddie moved his whole group over there in terms of in Britain as well as the United States and mostly around the rest of the world. Um, to get this eliminator, I mean, I'm not, it's not like it's a long-term thing, but he's going to have to cross the street, so to speak, and probably fight on BT Sport in the UK, which is his own rival, which is where the Bella is working out a deal with uh, with uh, Frank Warren, who has an exclusive with BT Sport. So that makes it intriguing. And it's just in terms of the fight itself, it's a crosswords fight. You got the young up-and-coming undefeated Olympic medal winner, who everybody thinks is a chance to become a champion in the future, taking on the old war horse and Pascal, who's had ups, who's had downs, who's been in some tremendous fights. And and uh, has another uh, another opportunity to land a title shot. So, so that's a pretty good fight. Good enough. And again, Boazzi would love a chance at Bivol somewhere down the road. He's got to win if that is the case. That was not the only purse bid. There was another purse bid for the WBC vacant 140-pound title. And it led me to the question, who in the world is Marv Nation? And of course, Dan <laughs> Rayfield's our insider. You would know this. It was surprising. They had the highest bid. Give us the details real quick. So Marv Nation Promotions won the purse bid for this vacant title fight. Remember, this is the title that Josh Taylor vacated. So they put together uh, Zapata was supposed to fight Jose Ramirez. Ramirez said, oh, no, I can't fight this fall. I'm getting married. I'm planning my wedding. So he withdrew from the position. And the next guy in line was Regis Progress, who was dying for another title shot. So the match is uh, Jose Zapata against Regis Progress, which, by the way, is a hell of a fight. That's a two legit top five guys in the weight class uh, in, and been in some exciting fights. And that's a it's a really good fight. So it goes up for our purse bid and the, the, uh, the expected bidders bid, which is pro bellum, which is the promoter for Regis Progray, They bid like $1,060,000. You have the promoter for, uh, uh, Zapata Zanfer promotions bids, uh, slightly over a million, like a million, 5,000 or a million, $4,500, something like that. Then surprisingly you have PBC slash TGB. They bid, they don't work with either fighter, but they've liked to, They've worked with ProGray in the past, right. and I think they just saw a good opportunity to buy a good fight at the right price, maybe give it to Showtime, et cetera, where, where Regis ProGray started off in terms of being a TV fighter. So they bid a little bit higher, $1,260,000 and change. Um, so now you've got the three bidders, all with experience, uh, about 20% apart in terms of what their bid is. And then you have Marv Nation Promotions, which is a Southern California concert and boxing promoter. They got into the business as a concert promoter, and now they do regular club shows in Southern California, but never been uh, involved in a world championship fight at this level. They've done maybe a couple of, uh, they're involved in a women's world title fight that's taking place in Costa Rica that Golden Boy's involved in. But in terms of doing like major shows, they've never done, I would say in the United States, they've never done a show where the show was a $100,000 show. They bid $2.4 million on the main event on this one match. So they more than double, they basically doubled what the second place bidder was. And so, and I wish Marv Nation all the best. I don't know them. I have nothing bad to say about them at all, whatsoever. But you just look at that kind of bidding and you know they're in experience and you just think Triller 2.0. Yeah. I hope that's not the case uh, and that these guys Especially can get the money and do the fight. Especially when you said Southern California company, background in music, it's almost like the same thing, like a replay. And the other thing that's important here in all of that, you said they don't really have a television dance partner to help no. them make the money back. Right. Isn't that key? I am? I am told uh, without question that they have made calls to people within the business seeking. Um, I don't know what the word is, uh, opinions or 
to help them in terms of consulting, whatever, but that their plan is to do this as a pay-per-view. Now, you know, they can do what they want. They're entitled to lose money. They're entitled to make money if they can. But I dare say there's not a singular person within this business who knows anything about the way the business side operates or frankly fans who are the ones that are asked to foot the bill, right? Who would look at a fight between Regis Progre and Jose Zapata. And this is in no way an indictment on the two boxers. They're good fighters and they're worthy contenders for this title. But to think that they're in a main event on a pay-per-view is somewhat laughable. And I would say to you, uh, and I would stake my, my experience of 20 plus years of covering boxing in terms of the boxing business, in terms of pay-per-view that that fight on the greatest day in the history of the world wouldn't do it would definitely not even come close to doing 50,000 buys. And, you know, it'd probably be more like, you know, 25,000 buys, maybe 30 on a good day, maybe less. Um, and if you do the math and then you put them in an arena, Marv, Marv Nation, which is run by a man named Marv Rodriguez, uh, said that uh, in a statement that was given to me, the fight would take place either in Las Vegas or Atlantic City. Not really sure about why Atlantic City, but nonetheless, as good of fighters as Zapata and Regis are, neither one of them has ever proven to be any kind of ticket selling draw. So, you know, again, the gate for the fight on, on a fight like this, I, again, on a good day, on if everything was like broke perfectly, you know, maybe, and this I'm being generous right. when I say this, TJ, maybe they could eke out a half a million dollars on the gate if they're lucky. So but again, they got it, now they got it just to break even. Now they got to make a million and a half, two million dollars or something close to that, right? And, Off but, the pay-per-view without but you're an outlet, also, without a partner. Now they might have a few other like some revenue there would be maybe uh, they could maybe drum a couple of sponsors up for the ring matter, this or that there, there would probably be at least a, a, you know, a decent, you know, a little bit of money in terms of the foreign TV sales, you know, you go sell it to, you know, a, a place in England or a place in Japan or a place in Central America, you know, five grand here, 10 grand there, whatever. But again, to think that they're going to get back to the two, four, keep in mind, TJ, two, four is the main event cost, strictly the bout, nothing to do with anything else related to the show undercard, mm promotion, PR things, banners, renting insurance, the arena. renting the arena, uh, you know, you name it. I mean, a lot of like travel for your, for your mm -hmm. staff and the judges and the flights for the, uh, everybody involved, the fighters, their teams, hotels, car services, airport pickups. I mean, there's, there's a laundry list of things that cost money, you know, meals for the, for the boxers and their team during the week. I mean, finding a, a space for a press conference, uh, you name it. It's the point is two, four is the price of the main event. That's got nothing to do with all the other expenses going to running a boxing event. So, you know, as I said, good fight, good luck to them. They had 10 days after the purse bid to uh, submit the, the first uh, 10% of that bid, 240 grand. That's supposed to go into an escrow account with the WBC. And uh, like I said, good luck to them. I hope the fight happens, but uh, you know, color me skeptical. You are very skeptical. So are we headed? I know you don't want this. Maybe the Marv Nation people are great people, but are we headed for a similar thing with Triller where it's a default situation and it's going to go to one of the others and the, and the second highest bidder was the PBC bid? Is that, that is correct. Is yep. that, I'm not saying probable, but isn't that realistic that they're not going to be able to come up with the money, they're going to realize that, and we're likely headed to the default second bidder? That's me saying that, not Rayfield saying that, but I think it's a it's a legitimate thing to have to consider here. They're going to look at the financials and realize we don't have a TV dance partner and we're not going to be able to pay for any of this. The bottom line is, if in fact it does end up with the second bidder, at least you know that the people at TGB and PBC are very experienced, perfectly capable of putting on an event. I promise you that Al Heyman and Tom Brown are not bidding a million plus dollars on a fight 
if they don't have some idea of where they're going to put it or how they're going to use it, whether right. it's on a pay-per-view undercard of one of their bigger events, or maybe they've got it sold to Showtime, whatever. The point is, uh, you know that it falls to the second place bidder, that what the fight will happen. And by the way, if you go back to what happened with Triller in the Cambosis-Lopez fight that took place in November when Triller was defaulted because they couldn't get the fight scheduled and they were having all kinds of problems, ultimately they were declared in default and the second place bidder took over the fight and put it on. That was matchroom boxing. If matchroom boxing is doing an event, say whatever you want about them. They're very capable professionals. They know how to run a boxing event as good as anybody in the business. And uh, they put the fight on at Madison Square Gardens Theater and uh, it turned out to be a great fight and a big upset. And if you watched the fight or you bought a ticket, you sure damn well got your money's worth. And by the way, another fun one, another footnote to this, because I, I wrote about it. We kept up with it. It was before you and I started the relationship. Lopez and Cambosis got paid by Triller on the default and then yep. got paid for the second place bid uh, from Eddie Hearn and from Matchroom, and that would be the same thing here, and that's what you mentioned about the escrow money. So I know we got well, a little bit in the weeds of the finances on I'm this. Not, I can't, I'm not sure exactly how the WBC works with the default, yeah. but it's just escaping me. But in terms of the IBF, just to, to, like you said, when the when the Triller people defaulted, they had it within at the purse, but they put up uh, 10% of the money, mm -hmm. and then within like 10 or 15 days after the purse, but they had to submit another 10% of the money. So in the end, 20% of their total purse was sitting in an account with the IBF. And when they were declared in default, that money is then divvied up between the two boxers based on the percentage of what the split was of the purse bid. So even though Eddie Hearn promoted the fight and they had a, their, their purses were based on his purse bid, not what Triller's purse bid, which was a big cut, they still were able to at least, they weren't made whole, but they were made wholeer because yep. they were able to take that money from the distribution of the 20% that was placed in escrow. Hopefully we didn't lose everybody on the financials, but I get it. It's a, it's an intriguing fight, and I don't know if Marv Nation is going to come through and be able to, pr to promote it, get it on TV, get it on their pay-per-view. And maybe, I mean, we got to make room for one more possibility. Maybe they have got financial backing, they've got an investor, and they're trying to make a bigger splash and have their pay-per-view work, and they're willing to take a loss. We don't know that. You and I possible. are not privy to that. That's entirely possible. Who knows? But stay tuned. Stay tuned on that. couple of more items, and then we're getting to Clarissa Shields, and I promise fight previews of Andy Ruiz, uh, the Destroyer, and, uh, and Luis King Kong Ortiz in the main event on the Fox PBC pay-per-view Sunday night that that will be coming, and that card. Uh, we'll be previewing that fight card and also Juan Francisco Estrada in action on Saturday night in Mexico. We'll be previewing those fights coming up in a few moments. A couple of other news items. I saw you react to the WBO saying that, hey – Joe Joyce, Joseph Parker is going to be for the interim championship that you just didn't, and you're shaking your head now. I can see you on video. You're shaking your head. They didn't have to do that. It's still, it's an intriguing fight. It's a fight to be the number one contender. The WBO took an extra step earlier this week to say it's going to be for our interim title in the event that the Usyk situation doesn't, doesn't come in a title defense or the winner of Usyk and, and Fury doesn't defend against this winner of this fight. They're, they're calling it the interim championship. Give me a quick 30 to 60 on your issue. I want to know why, why are we making determinations about things that might happen in the future? You know, I always learned, you know, you deal with what comes to you, what happens. Then you, you assess the situation and you deal with it. They have no idea what's going to happen with Usyk and Fury. And the fact of the matter is an interim title is, should be, in my opinion, and is what like the W of the IBF, I should say, what they use it for the WBO used to kind of use it for this reason is if a champion is legit injured and is going to be out for a lengthy period of time, rather than stripping that champion, they allow the next available contenders who theoretically have been waiting their turn to fight for the interim title. 
And when the champion comes back, the interim champion then is ordered to face the full champion. And what it also helps is when they do, if it goes to a purse bid, if you're the interim champion, you get a little bump in the percentage of the money that mm-hmm. you'd be entitled to. And so I look at the WBA situation, WBO situation. And by the way, lest anybody think my ire is only aimed at the WBA, mostly it is. And I have a very fine relationship with the people at the WBO. Uh, Paco Varcarcel, I've known for many years. I enjoy Paco's company and uh, he's a nice guy. And we've had many uh, good times together over these years. Uh, we just disagree on this one, respectfully so. Uh, you have a champion of the WBO and Alexander Usyk who just defended the title against Anthony Joshua two weeks ago, won a fight, is now, by all accounts, his team is engaged in conversations with the Tyson Fury team to try to make uh, the undisputed fight. So it's not as though he's like not going to fight for a year and he's injured or he's taking a lengthy time off and looking to go on vacation. He's looking to get right back in there within the next you know six months or so and try to make this big, humongous, undisputed fight. And there is no reason if you're an active champion, meaning you're going to fight twice within, uh, you know, within a year for sure, why there should be an interim champion. I mean, no disrespect to Joseph Parker or to Joe Joyce, two good quality heavyweights, but I don't feel like they're being aggrieved by fighting an eliminator to get the opportunity to fight for the title. They'll get their turn. What is the hurry? They should not be fighting for an interim title. Devil's advocate would say, that Usyk was fighting Joshua in late in, in in September of 2021. Usyk fights Joshua in the rematch in August of 2022. Fury fight, let's say best case scenario happens January, February, and and they even laid this out in what they released. If those guys want to rematch, that would come later in the summer of 2023. Just going on the timeline. Stick with me. Don't make fun of me. Don't swat me. Now you would be at about three years before a WBO top contender would have a shot at a title fight because of Usyk and Joshua, Usyk and Fury under that hypothetical. So I'm just being the devil's advocate. I'm not saying they needed to do it. I'm just saying that would be their argument, wouldn't it? That their top and if contender that's the case, ain't getting if, a shot. Go ahead. If they feel like the time frame is being stretched out too long because of what may be happening with Fury and Usyk, who, by the way, may not end up fighting. Right. In which case, Usyk would theoretically either be available to fight the number one contender, or maybe he would retire or whatever, and they could fight for the vacant title. The point I'm making is when you know that the time is being stretched out and there's not going to be a fight, at that point, you can order a title, uh, uh, an interim title fight. But you don't shouldn't be doing it retroactively because maybe there'll be a rematch clause. Maybe their fight's going to get stretched out an extra six months. I don't buy that nonsense. You do it when it happens. You know, Joseph Parker against Joe Joyce is an excellent heavyweight fight. And frankly, it's a good elimination fight where the winner should be getting a world championship fight. But I do not believe that the winner of that fight should be declared an interim champion, which is not going to really mean a whole lot anyway, because the true champion is going to be the winner of Fury Usyk if it happens. Uh, It's just a matter. This is all this is. This is a way to do a favor for people that have supported WBO. and, and allow them to promote a fight as a championship fight when in the reality is it's just a good heavyweight fight that's an eliminator. I mean, a lot of it's PR and yep. the WBO for their part. Listen, at the end of the day, they'll get a more, they'll get a higher uh, dollar figure in their sanction fee for having it been an a interim championship fight than a elimination fight. There's, they'll get more money off of that, most likely. So uh, just color me a little annoyed or sure. uh, whatever, but. To me, an interim title at a moment when the champion is not injured and active is bullshit. 
and he's calling it as such. One more real quick, quick answer. Jake Paul, Anderson Silva. It's not done. You wrote about this, though. It's out there. October 29th being kicked around, potentially in Phoenix, Arizona. Paul would be back for the first time since he fought last December against Tyron Woodley in Tampa, where I sit and do this press conference in the or do this uh, podcast, I should say, in the Tampa Bay area. He's been off for a while. We know all the shenanigans with Tommy Fury, with Haseem Rahman. Uh, give me a quick take here. Realistic that this is going to happen from yeah. what you're hearing, and October 29th looks like it might be the date, and you think this is no joke here with Silva, right? Listen, Jake Paul has fought no actual boxer, and Anderson Silva is not like a championship-level boxer, but compared to the fighters that he's already been into the ring with, Anderson Silva is a boxer. He's three wins and one loss as a professional boxer. More particularly, he's he, first of all, he's a great all-around athlete and combat sports person. You know, and again, it's done mostly in MMA, obviously. And people say, oh, I was just fighting these MMA guys like you know Ben Askren and then Tyron Woodley twice and whatever. But Anderson Silva is a different animal altogether. He's like, you know, he's a godlike figure in combat sports, and he's no joke as a boxer. I'm not saying he was going to be or he is pound for pound or he's going to be a world champion. Right. But we're talking about a Jake Paul that's never had. You know, it's had five professional fights against the caliber of fighters that he's fought. I don't knock him for that. And one amateur fight, to my own knowledge. And here you have an Anderson Silva who has an eight-round decision win not that long ago against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Now, you can say whatever you want about Chavez Jr. He's a quitter. He's not in shape. He doesn't give a shit. You know, he, he's past his prime. All that may very well be true. But the reality is the guy has, like, you know, over 50 professional fights and was a world champion in boxing and has been in the ring with some of the top guys uh, you know, he fought Canelo Alvarez. He fought Sergio Martinez. He's been in the ring with good opponents uh, in recent, you know, over those years. And uh, Anderson Silva took him apart in an eight-round decision, and that's that's not easily done. And then, mm -hmm. of course, in the in the fight on the undercard of the Evander Holyfield debacle against Vigor, Vitor Belfort, uh, again, it, it was a it was a boxing match against uh, an MMA fighter. You know, Tito Ortiz. He knocked him out in in one round. It was you know pretty Destroyed horrendous him. knockout. Destroyed. Uh, but yeah. again, we're talking about a guy that has ring experience both in terms of as a professional MMA fighter who was a hell of a striker and some boxing experience against like a decent, you know, level guy in Chavez taking on a Jake Paul. And so again, Anderson may be 46, 47 years old. Uh, listen, I give Jake Paul credit for that. That's a, that's no joke. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about selling pay-per-view and that's a fight that for me, I mean, I, I'm not a giant. I mean, people think I like love Jake Paul in this. I don't, I just don't knock Jake Paul. Like a lot of people do. I think he's got every right to go and try and make a, a go of it in this sport as best as he can. Uh, so I give him credit for having the stones to fight an Anderson Silva. And because Silva's that could be, a, I think it'd be a bad, bad result for Jake Paul. It possibly. could be. And Silva's around the same weight. So we're not going to have that issue. Nope. No issue there. And uh, again, very marketable. Silva was for 13 years, 13 years. Hello. Uh, if I know, I'm sorry, seven years for seven years, he was the longest running, um, UFC world champion they've ever had seven consecutive years. And I believe 13 title defenses or 16 title defenses. So that's not a joke in and of itself. He's very well known. And uh, we'll see, we'll see if that fight. Gets I'll just made. say one thing more about that. Yeah. If you told me that Jake Paul, uh, not Jake Paul, if you told me that Anderson Silva was going to have an eight round boxing match mm -hmm. against Haseem Rockman jr. Or against Tommy Fury. I tell you right now that Anderson Silva beats both of those guys in a boxing match. Now that's interesting too. All right, there's the Rayfield take on that. And it looks like late October, we'll see about the site. We'll see about an announcement coming up. We do know this, Claressa Shields gets ready to go for Undisputed yet again for the same 
set of titles that she used to have as undisputed middleweight champion. She's fighting Savannah Marshall, not this weekend, but next weekend in England. Dan Rayfield spoke with her earlier, and we're going to play that conversation right now for you. Before we get to all the fight previews of the fights this weekend, here is Claressa Shields. All right, everybody, I'm now going to bring in my guest right now. One of, if not the biggest name in women's boxing, that is none other than Claressa Shields. She's the reigning three-belt middleweight champion. And check this out. And I know, Claressa, you know your resume, but I'm going to read it for the peeps. You have three middleweight championship belts right now. You'll be fighting for the undisputed title, which we're going to talk about. You're the former undisputed junior middleweight champion, the former undisputed middleweight champion, the former unified super middleweight champion, and the two-time Olympic gold medalist. That's a lot of stuff. And now you're going into this big fight with Savannah Marshall. You guys are going to hook up on September 10th at the O2 Arena in London on ESPN Plus in the United States on uh, Sky Sports in the UK. It's the first time that a women's boxing match is going to headline at the O2 Arena, which for those who don't know, is sort of like the Madison Square Garden of England. Uh, it's a very major arena that had a ton of boxing matches there. I've covered fights there just a, you know, a, a classic sort of boxing arena. So I want to start off by welcoming you to do this, and I appreciate it. But I'd like to get your view of being in the first main event in that arena that has hosted so many significant boxing matches, uh, but all men so far. Um, you know, when I had first time, I, you know, contract to turn pro, I didn't know what the professional leagues would hold for me. I just knew I was a great fighter. Um, before I had any belts, before I had any championships, I just had just me and my two Olympic gold medals and my 77-1, you know, uh, amateur record. So I knew that women's boxing wasn't getting a lot of attention, a lot of TV time, definitely wasn't getting equal pay. But somewhere in my heart, I felt that I would be the one to help change that. And I have been one of the ones, especially here in America. Um, started with my journey, started on Showtime, you know, being the first woman to fight on premium cable on Showtime. Then fight the main event on Showtime and do that multiple times in world championships. But to work my way up from there to now be fighting at the O2 Arena, you know, uh, it's a huge accomplishment to me. And I think that, you know, people say, oh, you boast that you're the globe, you call yourself the globe. But I think everyone else calls me the quote now. It's not just me no more. At first, maybe it was just me because nobody even likes the word quote and they think it sounds weird, but it's kind of like goat, but it's just a W winner to make to let you know it's a woman. But I am recognized as the quote because what other American fighter, what other woman fighter can do what I'm doing? You know, to be going to a whole other foreign country, fighting, defending my belts and taking someone else's belt in their home country, uh, being being recognized as a global superstar um, and being paid a whole lot of money to do it. You know, it's not like we're going up here and fighting for 100K, 200K. Like, we're fighting for a lot of money, um, close to a million. I know that we're definitely going to make a million for, for over the fight period. So just to be the woman, you know, starting from the bottom and to be here... I am and how people were going to take to me, how my skills would pay the bills. Everything I said was correct. All those things you were just talking about in terms of the uh, ability to, to become a star here, to, to make the kind of money that you're making, uh, congratulations on that, by the way. But you're only 27 years old. And I wonder, yeah. I mean, 
do you feel like you're just, you know, you've done so much already, but do you feel like as a professional, you're just sort of just in getting into your prime now? Yeah, for sure. You know, I feel like uh, since I turned pro and I turned pro when I was 21, I kind of had to learn how to be, be a professional fighter, like on the job. Like I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time uh, up in camp and, you know, uh, transferring my style to a professional style. I was able to win my fights with the amateur style that I had. I was still able to dominate. Uh, I got some knockouts early on in my career and I, and I fought against some tough girls, but it was just like making the switch of, you know, sitting on a punch and landing a punch and I've done, you know, spent eight years just doing uh, off the point system. Yeah. You know, so I've been learning on a job and fighting against very, very tough competitive fighters since the beginning. And I've been winning unanimously, which is a big deal. And I, I don't think there's nothing wrong with me not knocking them out. But when people talk about knockouts, I always just say, like, people knock people out and they look terrible in a fight. But I look good every fight, whether I knock them out or not. So I kind of pride myself on always having a good day inside the ring. You know, when it's, when it's, when it's time to have a good day, I have a good day. And this fight, uh, as we mentioned when we started, is for the undisputed middleweight title. Uh, your three belts against her one belt. But she won that belt in 2020, but only after you already vacated. Like, you were already the undisputed middleweight champion. So, to many people, you 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 know, you never lost that position in the ring. You, you know, you gave up one of the titles. Do you kind of feel like going in that that she's just holding what's already yours, that, like, she's borrowed it for the last couple of years while you've been doing other things? Well, see, what happened then was uh, I was fighting for the Undisputed Championship at 154. Right. And the organization reached out and said that somebody else wanted to fight for the middleweight title, and I wasn't available, right? And so they said either you have to vacate the 160 title, the WBO, or you won't be able to fight for the undisputed championship at 154. It'll just be a unification. But but the history was to be the first two-time undisputed champion in the four-belt era. So that's why I gave the belt up. Um, I didn't know who it was who wanted the belt so badly that they couldn't wait to after I fought against Marie um, Eve DeCare because I gladly would have fought them. Um, to find out, it was Savannah Marshall and Eddie Hearn crying about it. <laughs> so that's why the organization even reached out to me and my team, I think, the week of the fight. So uh, we decided to do what was what was best for for the records and the legacy. And to be the only two-time undisputed champion is definitely legacy. You know, and um, I told her after that, like, okay, cool. Now that you, you know, fought, that, that you fought for my belt, I'm your mandatory. So... So to have to wait so long for this fight to come, we could have been fought because I offered Marshall a fight 2018 when I was a unified champion at 168, and her and her team refused. So you mentioned before, and uh, anybody that follows you knows, you were 77-1 as an amateur. Uh, that one loss was that 14-8 decision to Marshall in an amateur fight. Uh, just briefly, what do you remember about the fight and is that loss part of the big motivation for you more so than just the other title belt? Uh, because she talks about that victory over you uh, every time she opens her mouth in an interview, frankly. Every, 
every that's been her whole gimmick the whole time since she turned pro sign with Mayweather got dumped by Mayweather promotions and then now she's fighting and, and all of this arrested shields arrested shields um she definitely lived off that one loss but what I remember is me being the aggressor especially at the age of 17 me uh, me being the me being the aggressor me landing shots me chasing her around the ring, me being healed a lot, and me also having to deal with the ref who was definitely biased, you know. And I know that we talk about a whole lot of, you know, cheating and controversy in 2012 2016 Olympics, but it wasn't controversy at the Olympics to me. It was controversy at the World Championships because leading up to my fight with Savannah Marshall, I had beat everybody on a point system, 25 points or better. I had never scored anything less than 25 points. And then this particular fight, I literally fought the day before and beat a girl 30 points to, I think, 18 or 12. And then the next day, I fight against Marshall, and I only scored eight points. And uh, that was very abnormal to me, for one. Did you, and, uh, but did you feel like you were still like? Did you feel good that day compared to the day before? Like your your normal self going in to that fight? I definitely I felt like myself. I just didn't have any information about Marshall. Like we hadn't done like a film study. Nobody had mentioned her to me. Nobody mentioned how tall she was. It was like a whole bunch of just just go in there and do what you always do. All right. So is that the, is that part of the which is more motivating to get the belt back and be undisputed again or? to avenge that loss that she talks about all the time. It's just to beat any fighter who feel like they can discredit my accomplishments. That's it. It's, I don't really care about the loss in the amateurs because people forget that we were still amateur for mm-hmm. years after that. You're also a teenager. Right? You're, you're a kid. Yeah, but we got to think about, I was a teenager when I lost, I was 17, but I also won the Olympics three months later while I was 17. Right. And so, then I went to the world championships and won the world championships twice. She was there. And then we went to the Olympics again. I won gold again. So that's four major tournaments that she was there that I stood gold on the podium. And I think one, I think it was 2014, she got like a fourth place bronze or something. Yeah. But other than that, <clears throat> I reigned supreme. So that's why the loss in the amateurs doesn't matter to me. So in the pros, uh, you're 12-0 and with two knockouts. Uh, dominating victories for the most part. She's 12-0 with 10 knockouts. And the thing that she talks about being, in her mind, the difference between you and her is that punching power because she's shown to have some highlight reel kind of knockouts. You've obviously been more of a super boxer. Uh, What do you think about that? It's criminal over there. It's criminal over there how they've given these girls four days' notice, a week's notice, to fight against her. And she's had full training camp. She's fought against girls who are coming up from 147 and meet her at 160. And she's knocking them out, giving them three days' notice, a week's notice. I mean, we can go look on Box Break right now. She fought a girl that was 3 and 55, 11 and 65. And then when you're fighting those kind of opponents on a week's notice or two weeks' notice, three days' notice, you're supposed to knock those girls out. So then, how you're do you how do you think out. the fight goes? I mean, you stood up to some shots in your career. I've never seen you uh, hurt in my mind, or I think you maybe got knocked down once, you know, several yeah. fights ago. How do you think this fight play? I know you think you win, but in your mind, how does it go? Yeah, of course. I think Savannah Marshall is going to get, one, outworked. She's going to get overpowered. 
Um, we all know that my speed is immaculate, that my speed is great. Um, but we've been working on sitting on punches, uh, you know, making sure that we counter in. We're going to definitely keep our hands up because mm-hmm. I don't know if she's a big puncher or not. You know what I'm saying? Because of her opposition. Right. We can all be big. We can all be big punches against Americans, but can we be big punches against champions? No. Right. So, so, so I think that um, I'm going to definitely outwork her, overpower her, and out and outskill her, and that's what's going to be the difference maker. People talk about, oh, she's, oh, she's tall and this and that, but they're going to see that I'm the better boxer and that I have more power than her. And so I know this is obviously a very big fight for uh, for you, for her, for the sport of women's boxing. Uh, but I wonder, you know, you've already had all these championships. You've got the two gold medals. I wonder uh, what other goals in professional boxing do you have is, or in MMA? Because as folks, if they follow you, know you also compete uh, in MMA in the PFL. I wonder what are your other goals? Because uh, it seems like you've done in boxing anyway, even just a short career, pretty much everything that there is to do. You know, it's always more to do. You know, I just want to continue to fight against the best. I know that um, after I beat Marshall, they all like they're like, "Oh, she's the best." You guys are one or two, or two in the division, but there's always somebody that's coming up, creeping. You know, somebody who's watching, somebody who wants that opportunity, and whoever that young champion is or older uh, person is who wants to fight and prove their point against me, I'm there for the challenge. You know, I'm not retiring from boxing until I'm. 34, 35, can you know, so... Can you go, more, can you more, go more down in weight or go back up in weight to another weight? You know, in other words, could you win a title at welterweight? Could you win a title at light heavyweight, which are on the, bat, you know, the bookends of where you've already been? I would love to challenge myself to fight at 147 because I've already fought at 154. Um, I believe that I could definitely still fight at 175. But I think to go up in weight classes to win titles, I feel like it's easier... So I don't want the easy stuff. I want the tougher fights. And they say the lower you go, I guess the more skilled that the girls are, supposedly. I don't I don't think that that's what people say. But, I mean, I would love to go to 147. I always wanted to fight against Cecilia Brock to prove that she may have been the first woman to be undisputed, but she's not the best skilled. And Jessica McCaskill proved that point. Um, I would love to fight against Jessica McCaskill at 147. And, and, and I think the dream... The dream fight would be me and Katie Taylor about 147. That would be a big fight. Um, yeah, I think it would be the biggest fight in women's boxing because Katie got some mad skills, and she's up for the challenge. And me, um, you know, forcing my body to get down to 147 would be a big challenge. But I think I would still be able to showcase my skills. And just when you got skills and power against skills and power, I think it's... I think it's also great for women's yeah, boxing. Listen, Katie, some of the Katie's already seen. she's won a title at one forty. Also, so it's not uh, the, the yeah. weights are not that separated. I guess um, I know we got to wrap up. I just want to ask you one more question, uh, not about awesome. your fight, uh, but on this card, which has become like a women's super fight card because of the way that the rest of it's constructed. Is your good friend and Olympic teammate Michaela Mayer is in the co-feature. She's got two of the titles at junior lightweight, and she's meeting Alicia Bumgarner, uh, who has one of the titles for a three-belt unification. And I just wonder, what does it mean to you to have to be able to create this kind of event, to have uh, other women getting exposure? But in particular, you know, your uh, your pal from the Olympics, uh, you know, in what's her arguably her biggest fight of her career uh, in your co-feature. You know what? To have this big women's card is so is so important because I've always said that it's better than I am 
I can't go to sport by myself. Like, we need to bring up, bring attention to other women fighters. And, and, you know, how do you do that? Not by sharing their stuff on Instagram or, like, like, like that stuff helps. But just like men do when you when they put these unknown fighters on the undercard, we all of a sudden know about them. Same thing women's boxing have to go through. We all have to take that same route. And I think women's boxing is behind that. But now we're finally getting the picture. Right, so as we're getting the picture, us being the main event on this huge platform, having a co-main event, the other women champions, now those who are excited about seeing the main event have also become fans of the co-main event. And those who are waiting to see the co-main event have become fans of the first fight that's on the TV card. So I think it's huge. And I think um, I'm just so happy to be sharing the card with Michaela and Alicia Baumgartner. You know, I think that Besides me and Savannah Marshall, like the biggest rivalries in women's boxing, I think that Michaela and Alicia definitely have one of the, one of the rivalries. We've got, you know, two girls who literally hate each other guts. Well, they've been talking talk a lot of smack, that's for sure. Yeah, and then up on the top end, you got me who Savannah Marshall uh, hates me, and I don't, and I don't like her. So you got two of the fights that everybody want to see in women's boxing on the same card. You know, so I think it's just great all the way around. And um, I'm excited because it's being showcased in America on ESPN Plus and then in the UK on, up, uh, up on Sky Sports. So I think it's just great women's boxing well, all the way around. I know I am looking forward to it. September 10th at the O2 Arena, like you said, ESPN Plus in America, Sky Sports in the UK. Clarissa, thank you so much for doing this. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in the fight. Thank you. I appreciate that. You bet. There you go, everybody. That's Clarissa Shields, unified middleweight champ of the world, going for undisputed once again. Once again, or would they still call me two-time undisputed? All right, interesting conversation with her. Nice job, again, that she's willing to go to the U.K. I mean, some would say should have held out to fight in the United States, but she's probably getting a little bit better money to go fight Marshall over there. I'm, I'm the one saying that. Uh, and interesting, too, as she talked about with you, she's got Michaela Mayer, her Olympic teammate, in the co-feature. It's going to be quite a night for ladies boxing with Shields right in the middle of it, right? And, and Marshall, while we talk about no joke, Marshall is no joke with some knockouts here. There's a little bit of intrigue in that regard about can she throw the big enough punch? All right, final thought on that interview you had? I, I mean, you're right in terms of where the fight's taking place. I think uh, everybody on Team Shields realizes that in terms of the money and the exposure, and the, and, the, and the event status, that it is a bigger deal in the UK than it would be here in America because uh, while Clarissa is a tremendous fighter, hasn't had so, a massive following, and, and Marshall is totally unknown here, but yet she's known in the UK, and uh, Clarissa is known in the UK also because of her exploits in terms of having, uh, be, you know, they just have a bit, they have a, a more of appreciation, it seems to me, for women's boxing in the UK uh, than they do here in the United States. With that, I don't, that's not an indictment of anybody. It just seems to be the way that it is. Um, and the intrigue there is, of course, that as we talked about in the interview, Savannah Marshall laid the one loss in, in, in Clarissa's entire life as a professional or an amateur back in, in an in a amateur tournament, uh, even before she won her first gold medal. So Clarissa finishes her amateur career like 77 and one with a decision loss against her. And she detailed that, of course, if they listened to the interview. And uh, the other thing about it is this, and, and, and I, it's kind of, you know, they're making a big deal about it because it's for undisputed. But the reality is Clarissa's got three of the middleweight championship belts and Savannah's got the WBO title. 
and the, and and before uh, Savannah won the WBO title, uh, Clarissa was the undisputed champion. She vacated the WBO title for uh, to take a different fight, and so she's just basically going to try to get back what was already hers. Uh, and in terms of having Michaela Mayer on the card, she's in a three belt unification fight with Alicia Bumgarner, which is another good matchup if you like uh, uh, unification fights. Certainly, if you like women's boxing, uh, they're good friends, and I think uh, I know. That, that Clarissa and I know Michaela also both very excited and interested to go fight for the UK fans uh, and to turn in a good performance. It's going to be on ESPN plus in the United States. The entire card is, is uh, women's matches. And uh, the thing that Clarissa was sort of uh, enjoying and liking and interested in when I mentioned to her is that this will be the first women's boxing match that headlines at the O2 arena, which I equate for England, sort of like you would look at an MGM grand or Madison right. square garden you know, that type of place in the, in America where it's known for having hosted many of the greatest boxing matches that there have been. And uh, O2 has hosted a whole ton of boxing matches since it's been open. I've even covered, I've covered a fight there, you know, years ago, I was there for when a uh, uh, unbelievable atmosphere, when Gennady Golovkin knocked out Kel Brook in a middleweight title defense, but the fans there, they come and they expect to have the people there throw down and have a good fight. And, you know, it's gotta be a big deal for any athlete, women, men, whatever to headline uh, in that kind of venue. And uh, Clarissa is accomplishing that. And she's going to, being a big major women's fight in a headline fight at a, at a, at a world-renowned arena. And again, that's not this weekend. That's next weekend with those two uh, September battles. 10th. And we did, we did detail in a, in a previous press conference setting before she did this interview, she got tired of all the yapping by Savannah Marshall and just you kept using the line. You have one belt, you have one belt. You keep doing all this talking. You, in other words, Clarissa has three belts right now. And in a previous division had all four belts as well. Stop giving me static. As the, as the kids like to say, when you have one belt. Well, and, and, and the belt that she has is the one that, Clara, that Clarissa right. gave up. So you're just borrowing. But it, it. The bottom line is, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good grudge match. It's been sure. uh, anticipated for quite a while. And, and uh, Savannah Marshall has a punch. How much of a punch? And that's one of the knocks on Clarissa Shields is that she's been good. She's won decisions, but she hasn't knocked people out. So that's part but of as the. Clarissa injury. makes the point in the interview, and she spoke yeah. about it at length. Is yeah. the the women that are being knocked out by Savannah are? Uh, this is Clarissa speaking, not me women that they've got on short notice women that are coming from the welterweight division, the fighter in the, in the middleweight division, uh, you know, that they're, that they're not fighting fair fights. And uh, whereas Clarissa is fighting women, her own size. Guess what? We're about to find out. We're we about are to find out here in about eight or nine days. And listen, you know what, with the fact that we had just the awesome match between uh, uh, Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano, and you know, what I think is maybe the, the greatest women's boxing match we've seen in terms of excitement, you, you know, you hope that, that the that these types of matches can build on that, where we also saw early in the year it didn't have the kind of hype, but when uh, Michaela uh, unified the the two titles, she had that incredible fight the night before um, the fight in Las Vegas, back uh, you know earlier in the year before Canelo's uh, fight, and uh, boys that was a throwdown with uh, with Emma Douche, and now she's going to have another unification. You know, if, if the Clarissa fight can produce some action and some drama and, and Michaela and, and Bumgarner can produce some action and drama, you know, this is going to be a real sort of renaissance year for, for, for the women's side of the sport. We love all of that. All right, here's what we love too, fight previews. It is the Big Fight Weekend preview. We are ready to do that for Ruiz Ortiz and the Fox PBC fight card and all the action that's of relevance coming this weekend. We'll do that next. All right, fight fans, have you checked out ppv.com yet? It's the best new way to stream pay-per-view events, and they've got a great interactive platform with live chats, real-time fan videos, other cool features. It is a great fight fan experience, and it is available for this Ruiz-Ortiz fight that we're about to be talking about more. 
here in just a few moments. That is coming Sunday night, September 4th. It's going to stream live on ppv.com. ppv.com, again, has a great way to experience this fight from all different uh, social media angles, etc. And you're, you're going to see some great action here. So we believe at least some fists that are flying between Ruiz and Ortiz as the former unified champion, uh, Andy Ruiz squares off against former world title challenger, Luis King Kong Ortiz highly anticipated. The winner is back. Dare we say in the title picture, at least in the conversation. So not only do you get to see this heavyweight showdown, but you get the full card on ppv.com. You've got to watch all of it. Uh, and and find it some way, you might as well do it with these guys. You can go to ppv.com and order the Ruiz-Ortiz fight coming for Sunday night. Remember, it is a Sunday night pay-per-view, and you can order Ruiz-Ortiz for this Sunday, September 4th, on ppv.com. Expect the fireworks on Labor Day weekend in the ring in Los Angeles. Ruiz-Ortiz, ppv.com. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in one more time with my man, Dan Rayfield. Keeps me straight. Do I keep him straight? No, he keeps me straight on the Big Fight Weekend preview podcast. By the way, when it's all done this weekend off of Labor Day, and it will be peaks, it's a holiday weekend, and Ruiz Ortiz is out Sunday night. I know you want a lot. I know you ask for everything, peeps. Just give us some time to get the recap podcast out. All right. It will be there on Labor Day at some point. It's typically out Monday morning. We'll get it to you on Monday, even though it's a holiday. Just give Rayfield and me time to work Sunday night, Monday, and get you the recap podcast. You'll get that automatically right here on this podcast feed when we are done uh, off the weekend that. with the fights. Yeah. I've heard they get a ding, a bell, a yes, vibration. A vibrate, something. You get an automatic notification, whatever it is. I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning and the podcast is posted, you're going to get a notification if you're following or subscribing. And I hope the they're subscribing and reviewing us also, by the way. Yes, they need to be doing that. Go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Some of you have been doing that recently. Keep doing that. More people will find us. But yes, because the, the podcast, the recap podcast will be out. We got the preview podcast on Friday, the recap podcast off the weekend. Stick with us on the schedule. And by the so, way, I'll just say right now, yeah. when the recap podcast comes out on Monday, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna have another good contest for the people that leave Ooh, us to review. You're teasing. You're teasing? I'm teasing. We're teasing that we have another contest for those that review us in September. They better get to reviewing because we've got a contest for a giveaway out of what I like to call the Rayfield Museum Collection. He's I got a good, part it's a, with kind something. of a cool thing. It's kind of neat. And by the way, he, our first contest winner who won the Holyfield hat put up the nice picture. Yes. I just got a, we just got a, a, a tweet and I got a direct message from our contest yep. winner uh, from Edry who won the, the Cambosis and, Haney, a poster from Australia, who yes, had it up on the wall in, the, in his kid's room and his kid was in the heavy bag or the, the punching bag. That's tremendous. So, so yes. I mean, he likes the poster. He got the poster hanging up. So, I mean, we're just, I'm just trying to spread the love. You are out of the All Rayfield collection. Right, so we've got a potential cool giveaway. I'm saying yes, cool giveaway, but they'll find out more next week about what it is. They need to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Send a screenshot Tag Dan, tag Big Fight Weekend so we see the screenshot after you've reviewed us and you've got a chance to win at random in September. Dan is feeling benevolent. He's in the giving mood uh, for that. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Ruiz Ortiz, main event, Crypto.com Arena, Los Angeles, Sunday night, heavyweights, scheduled for 12. And here, I mean, it, it just comes down to this. The winner of this fight is very much relevant still 
in the heavyweight picture, contender picture at the top, if not title picture. All right, Dan, let's go. I mean, uh, we're, we're here to fight weekend. What are your thoughts real quick? I've heard it's a big fight weekend. Very nice. Well played. <laughs> Listen, it's a good fight. I mean, I've liked this fight ever since it was made. Uh, you know, the titles are spoken for at the moment, and uh, there's no one going to be fighting for a heavyweight title at this moment in time uh, unless it's going to be Usyk and hopefully Fury against each other. So they have all the belts. And uh, while they hopefully can get together to clarify the, uh, the undisputed uh, championship, I mean, interim uh, title between Parker and uh, Joe Joyce notwithstanding, uh, other guys still got to be active, still got to hold their position, still want to make money, still want to put on events and bring in fans and, and, and stay sharp and all that. And here you have a good matchup between Ruiz and Ortiz, who both had some drama and some intrigue in their careers. Both have done well at some points. Both have had some rough losses at other points, uh, but they're evenly matched. They're both by any, any non-biased uh, person or entity that would rank a, a top 10 list of heavyweights would certainly find Andy Ruiz and King Kong or D somewhere among that top 10, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, probably in the, in the, in the upper two thirds, let's say. Um, I mean, they're good fighters. As you said, in the, in the beginning of the podcast, they both have a, a punching merit. They don't have the punch. We'll talk about this when we're done with this. We'll talk about Ernie Shavers, his yep. passing. They don't have the kind of punching power that an Ernie Shavers had, uh, but they're both good punchers. They're both good boxers. They're both experienced. They've both been in the ring with quality opposition. And uh, I expect to be a, a an interesting fight. And the thing that I, I, I can't really put my hand on and my finger on, I have no idea how this goes, my man, because I keep thinking about this fight. And if you told me any, you know, sometimes there's fights where, you know, there's like, Oh, it's gotta be a knockout or yeah, it's probably gonna go the distance because their styles are their boxers, not punchers. When I think about this fight and I've been thinking a lot about it the last few days, it's the kind of matchup to me where I could see it anything from, a KO one for either guy all the way to a late KO for either guy to a decision for either guy. There's so many mm. intriguing possibilities based on the way these guys fights based on their history uh, that it's a real, I think, I mean, it's a toss up to me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough fight to pick. Ruiz uh, smaller, but younger Ortiz bigger, but obviously significantly older. So there's Lower. a lot of contrasting, aspects to this interesting on our bet us line as we release the podcast we'll do the bet us boxing preview show from the gambling aspect live at one eastern time on the bet us platforms their youtube channel andy ruiz is a minus 360 roughly three and a half to one to win that's interesting the bet us odds makers believe he is a favorite a, a decent favorite ortiz plus 260 about two and a half to one as the underdog are over under is nine and a half rounds scheduled 12 round fight right for the distance not it's 10, a uh, 12 it's a, right? a 12 round fight it's it's uh, officially speaking it's a wbc semi-final eliminator they're one right. semi-final eliminator the other semi-final eliminator takes place a few weeks later with or with uh deontay wilder's return against robert hellenius and so theoretically the winner of this fight yeah again this is based on the wbc doesn't necessarily mean that they'll make the match but the winner of or of uh ruiz and ortiz would theoretically square off with the winner of uh wilder and hellenius to determine who would be the next mandatory for the winner of theory versus uh or you sick or whoever happens to be holding right. the, the uh, wbc title how concerned quick answer are you ruiz off a knee injury he has not fought for a while because of a knee injury and so that's kind of an unknown variable isn't it in this fight real quick i mean anytime a guy's coming off an injury you know you always got to be uh you know i wouldn't say necessarily concerned about it but certainly cognizant of it um i don't think the knee injury was anything dramatic he hasn't fought since may of 2021 so it's a year and a half um, when I did the interview with Andy that I had a couple weeks ago, 
he said everything was, you know, I did not that I expect him to say my knee is in right. terrible pain and I can't of course. walk. I that mean, would be whatever. a first. That would be a <laughs> yeah. first. <laughs> but whatever. I mean, I, it, it seems as though based on watching like the, some of the media workout and, and that sort of thing that, you know, if he, if he, if he was not healed up from the knee injury, I don't believe he would be fighting. So I think the knee is, uh, I can't tell you it's 100%, but I think it's certainly good enough for him to be in the ring. He, it was described as minor knee surgery, and it was last year. So now we're talking yeah, about eight okay. or nine months into this year to be fully healed, trained up. And, and they were trying to make a Ruiz fight earlier in the summer. They couldn't get that done. It got done now for Labor Day weekend uh, with King Kong Ortiz here. So he's had a little extra time. We'll see if that matters. One more quick one. I don't know. You've already said you're torn on which way it's going to go. We'll tease. Go to the BetUS show because Dan will go on the record, and he's been rolling with his predictions on the BetUS show Friday live at 1 Eastern. I guess one of the other variables is how much does Ortiz have left in the tank because it's believed that he's 40, maybe 41. We don't know for sure on the actual age. What does he have left? As <laughs> well, officially, officially he's 43, but many would think he's closer to 53. But that's Oh, besides my God. The yeah. I mean, here's the thing about the fight, though. You got you got Andy Ruiz, who's coming off the layoff since May of 21 against Ariola, And before that, he had, hadn't fought since the one-sided loss to Joshua in the rematch, which came at the very end of 2019. So he didn't fight at all in 2020. He fought only one time in the midway point of 2021. And now here we are in the last lab, last lap of 2022, and he's finally back in the ring. So he's had just one fight between the Joshua loss in 2019 and, and the uh, – and the fight that's coming up on Sunday. So he's been off for quite a while and knee surgery in, included in that, in that period of time, in terms of King Kong, he has fought more recently. He, he was, he did, he fought once in 2020, but it was a, it was such a bad fight, a first round knockout that Alexander Flores, who took the loss in that fight, they held up his, uh, his purse, the commission did in California to investigate whether or not he took a dive. Uh, it was ruled that he didn't, but the point is, uh, King Kong didn't really get much work that night. He would get much better work, uh, you know, climbing a set of stairs or hitting the heavy bag than he did that night. So, are you saying the heavy bag might have had a better chance of hitting him back than what the opponent? He still had to go through the camp. He still had to climb the stairs into the ring. He still had to get under the lights, whatever. So, it's an official fight. But the point is, he fought one fight like that in 2020, a year off after the loss to Wilder in the rematch, and then he didn't fight all of 2021. But he's fought more recently than than uh, Andy Ruiz has. He fought on New Year's Day, if people remember. He had what would turn out to be a pretty good shootout, exciting fight. Also was one of these Fox pay-per-view cards where he knocked out uh, the former IBF title holder, Charles Martin, in the sixth round. But there were some problems. Like, Houston, we got a big-time problem in that fight. He was knocked down in the first round and in the fourth round. He happened to get rid of uh, Martin, knocked him down twice. But um, Ortiz, who's been down before, obviously knocked out by Deontay Wilder. Uh, Charles Martin is a pretty good puncher himself, but uh, you know, that gave me pause when I saw him down. So the intrigue here is that he's been down against Wilder, knocked out by Wilder. He's been knocked down twice by Charles Martin in his most recent fight. In terms of Ruiz, he was knocked down in the fight against Chris Ariola early. He was obviously uh, knocked down early against Anthony Joshua. I mean, these guys are good punching uh, heavyweights, but they also are vulnerable because when they got sure. hit hard, clean, they've tasted the canvas. So, um, you know, who the heck knows? I mean, Listen, as t- as evenly matched heavyweight fights go, this is an evenly matched heavyweight fight. And frankly, from my perspective as a as a fan, you know, putting my reporter hat to the side for a quick sec, that's what you like to see, right? TJ, do you want to buy or sure. watch boxing matches where you feel like you already know the outcome? I swear to God, I don't know the outcome of this fight in, in my mind. I mean, we don't know it for sure, but I don't really even have a strong inkling one way or the other. 
Like whatever pick I make when we do our betting show on Friday afternoon at one o'clock on the BetUS YouTube channel, I want everybody to tune in. The reality is as we speak right this minute, as we tape this, I am still not sure of what my official pick will be. Wow. All right. Now That's I did in, in full disclosure, I, I was part of the, uh, uh, the, um, the, the fight app is also one of the, the broadcast partners for the digital uh, streaming of this fight also. And I was part of the round table earlier this week to preview that fight. And we made our picks on that show. And I said to the host of a show, Nick Eldis, the, the former uh, wrestling star, uh, that I reserve the right to change my mind about 50 times between now and the time the fight happens. So <laughs> whatever my pick was on that show is not necessarily uh, gotcha. what I'm going to say on Friday. All right. We'll find out what happens in that main event. Crypto.com Arena, the home of the Lakers, uh, among others, in downtown L.A. is where it is. And why don't we, while we have a second, we'll get to the rest of that card, say something real quick on the passing of the acorn, Ernie Shavers. If you're a big-time, nostalgic, heavyweight boxing fan, he never won a world title, but he was in there with Ali. He scored a lot of knockouts. He got beat some along the way, got in there with Ali in Madison Square Garden in 1977, late in Ali's career, fought Larry Holmes twice, once as a contender and lost to him, and then fought an epic fight in 1979 after Holmes had won the vacant title off of Ken Norton Jr. and had defended it a couple times. He and Shavers bombed each other in a network TV fight with Howard Howard Cosell on the call of Shavers and Holmes on ABC uh, and, and primetime wide world of sports on that fight. So that fight's out there on YouTube. So Ernie Shavers passed away. Uh, at the time we're releasing the podcast, we don't know the reasons why. 78 years of age, it's wild and a, and a coincidence that he had just turned 78 on Wednesday, died on Thursday, a day after his birthday. But the Acorn, the Acorn was a contender that fought them all, it seemed like, in the 70s, with the exception of Joe Frazier and George Foreman. And George Foreman even gave a couple famous interviews where he said, there's a reason why I didn't fight the Acorn. I didn't want to get hit by that man. A thought, Dan Rayfield, uh, speaking of heavyweights, on the passing of Ernie Shavers real quick. Well, I can't blame Big George for that. I mean, this is a guy that was on the deck uh, multiple times against Ron Lyle, who was a good puncher also, but not at the level of an Ernie Shavers. So I can understand where uh, Foreman was coming from. But look, uh, you know, that was a golden age of heavyweights. In the in the 70s, there were so many contenders, uh, not as many belts as there are today. And so there was probably going to be a guy that was the odd man out or two that didn't win titles. And there was a lot of good heavyweights back then who didn't win world titles, whether it was Jerry Quarry, uh, certainly uh, um, Ernie Shavers falls in that category. But what Shavers is remembered for, I mean, he won't be remembered as a former heavyweight champion, is that he is on the short list. Uh, I think that if you found uh, uh, historians, whether it's whether it's in boxing in general as an overall sport or certainly within the heavyweight division, consider one of the single greatest punchers in the history of the sport a devastating devastating puncher you mentioned the larry holmes uh second fight mm. he had him down in round seven uh he ultimately got stopped in the 11th round by larry in what was a wbc heavyweight uh, title defense in uh in september of two of uh, 1979 uh but when larry went down uh, uh, in that fight it was with i mean the fact that larry holmes got up to me is literally one of the single most remarkable things in the history of boxing for him to get off the floor because Larry had been down before, uh, or, you know, subsequently had been, was down. But to, to watch him get off the deck, and I've watched that fight, you know, I've yep. knocked down many times. Absolutely a miracle. The right hand, I mean, you know, it's on the par like a Deontay Wilder kind of right hand. Just a devastating blow. And for, for him to be able to get off the deck is like a miracle of miracles. And they turn it around that. and stop him. Yeah. He stopped but but the Shavers, that. Shavers was an absolutely sensational puncher. You know, he's got a first round knockout against Kenny Norton. He's obviously, like you said, he fought 
He fought Larry Holmes two times, but he fought other guys too, whether it was, you know, you know, other contenders like Tex Cobb. And if you look down the record, he did have the fight with Ali who won a 15 round decision Jimmy with him. Young and uh, Jimmy Ellis, two Jimmy's that were world title challengers themselves. And he knocked both of them out. Uh, and well. I mentioned Ron Lyle so, before about yes. him fighting uh, George Foreman, which is one of the great heavyweight fights of all time. Uh, one of, one of the losses that that Shavers took was a six round knockout against Lyle, who was also a longtime contender in the seventies. Um, but he fought, like you said, Quarry Ellis. I mean, Jimmy Young, just he fought everybody. I mean, as we say, I mean, he could have, you know, as they say, could have been champ. I mean, he was within as close as you can come to being the champion and not actually getting it. That's how close he was against Larry Holmes in that fight. Uh, you know, finishes his people will look at his record and, and think, well, 74 wins, 14 losses and one draw, 68 by knockout. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll just say Ernie. Sh and by the way, after his career was over, uh, you know, he, he became a, a popular on like the uh, like the dinner circuit and the autograph circuit and that sort of stuff, like a very well-liked kind of guy, mm -hmm. uh, good, good, uh, personable with the fans and stuff, you know, had, had a, had a, you know, a lot of diehard fans that, that just because of that punching power. And uh, again, never won the heavyweight title, but will be remembered because he's one of the single greatest punches who ever walked the face of the earth and put on boxing gloves. And interesting, not unlike George Foreman became a minister, became a Christian minister and, uh, and even did so over in England uh, Ernie Shavers, 10 children, 24 grandchildren, from what I read, as well as well as a couple of great grandchildren. So the acorn not to be forgotten uh, with, with uh, what we're talking about on that. All right. So good enough. Uh, give me a little more on the undercard fights involving uh, Isak Pitbull Cruz. Uh, he's in the co-feature fight, Ruiz Ortiz, Sunday night. Also, Abner Mares, who you talked to not long ago on this podcast, comes out of a retirement, comes out of the broadcast booth. He's back in the ring. Give me something on both of those guys real quick in the preview mode, Sunday night, filling out the Fox pay-per-view card for Premier Boxing Champions. Well, as far as Abner goes, he was not actually in retirement. Like he told me he never retired. He always sort of had in his mind that he would make a return. Uh, okay. He had to go through. He had to go through a lot of issues in terms of getting licensed because of his past medical problems. I understand. There was the pandemic that he was dealing with. He was obviously watching a lot of boxing matches from ringside at, at Showtime, which said was something that kept it in him that he wanted to still fight. Um, he said what, what triggered him, and I have a story about this. People can go on my Substack or if their subscribers yep. all have gotten in their email, where he he used the term what triggered it to because he said he'd been in the gym training for a comeback, and you know, some days he was he was wanting to come back, other days he was unhappy and he didn't want to do it. But he was ringside when uh, Gervonta Tank Davis, who he was supposed to fight in 2019, and like a week and a half or so before the fight, he suffered the torn retina and had to withdraw from the fight and didn't end up fighting him. And then, you know, didn't fight again until he's going to fight Sunday night. But he was there as a Showtime analyst calling uh, Gervonta's fight against Mario Barrios when he knocked him out in uh, the late part of that fight, 11th round, if I remember correctly. Uh, and that was the moment where he said to me, I, I was going to fight this guy. And it's not like I want to fight him now, but that's what sort of made me realize I need to get back in the gym. And, and from that point forward, he spoke to his family. He talked about how his uh, his kids loved the idea of him coming back. And then he said, my wife, not so much. But he explained to her the reasons why. I mean, they've been together for like 17 years and right. she's always been very supportive of him. He explained to her the reasons why he wanted to make a return. Uh, ultimately, she went along with it. He was medically cleared by not only his own doctor and, uh, and retina specialist, by by also the doctor from the California athletic commission that they would not give him a license without the proper medical, uh, uh, passing. And also they went like, like they do not just with Abner. It wasn't like he was a special case, but if there's a fighter, uh, because of a certain medical issue or a long layoff or they're, they're not sure what their status is in terms of, are they capable? Uh, they actually went to the gym and watched him spar. 
to observe him and assess what he was uh, like before they would agree to give him a license. But he, he passed on everything and they give him the green light. And as Abner said to me, he's not doing this for the money. He's got yep. money. He has a good job with Showtime. He made a lot of money in his career. He, he was talking when I actually did the interview, he actually had to call me back uh, before we could actually do it because he was running late because he was closing on an apartment building property that he was buying. So he's involved in real estate, making money there. You have so been given a, a lot of, you've been given a lot of excuses on why the interview is delayed. That's an interesting one. And that's yeah. a businessman right there. We know that from that. So he statement. was, a, he was, uh, he's, he's made it, he, he made it very clear multiple times. He says, please, in your story, make sure people know I'm not coming back for the money. I'm, as he said, I'm doing it for me. I want to come back. I'm going, right. I'm in, I've enjoyed my training camp. I'm going to enjoy the fight. I'm not making decisions about the future until I see what happens. If I don't look good or I don't feel good, I'm done. Uh, if I, if I perform the way I hope I can and I look good, you know, then we'll assess it there. And I, I may have a couple more fights up to me, but this is not about world titles. It's not about trying to get a fight with Javante Davis. Like he once had it's uh, he wants to, as he said, do it for himself and give his, he's got a lot of fans in Southern California where he's put on a lot of good shows, give them, uh, a, a chance to see him fight again. He would tell me about how no matter what day it was, what day of the week, what time of day, every time he would be out and around in public or leave the house or whatever, everywhere he went, he'd always have people come up to him. When are you coming back champ? Who are you going to fight champ? And he was gratified by that. And uh, he's decided to give it one more go. And he's 36 and has had a hell of a career. He's a, I don't know if he's going to make the hall of fame, but he's certainly got a case. Uh, he's a borderline guy in my mind at this moment, uh, but he had a hell of a career. And if he has a couple more left in him, it's not like he's 50, he's 36 got the clean bill of health from the commission. I wish him nothing but the best of luck. He's fighting in a lightweight fight, by the way, so he's moving up a little bit against Miguel Flores, who is also a guy that's really been a, a career-long featherweight. Uh, you know, not a bad fighter, but not an experienced guy. So good luck to him. You know, Abner's always been a, a first-class kind of guy, and, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing him back in the ring. And you mentioned about the other fight, yep. the co-feature, uh, which is Isaac Cruz against uh, Eduardo Ramirez. We all know Pitbull Cruz, right? I mean, he had that tremendous fight with uh, Javante Davis not that long ago, end of last year. There are a lot of people thought that he deserved to win in their December fight. Uh, he didn't get the victory, but he made a lot of fans that night, and a lot of people thought he won. He came back in his next fight. Uh, I would have liked to see him take the Ryan Garcia fight, which ultimately he turned down for reasons I still don't quite understand. Uh, in any event, he absolutely destroyed uh, the remnants of Yuri Orcas Gamboa in April uh, on, a, on the card uh, in uh, Arlington, Texas, back uh, – you know, just a destruction of that guy. I mean, Gamboa, yeah. he knocked him out in five rounds. And Gamboa, whatever you say about him being past his best days, no one ever just utterly destroyed him like that, like Pitbull Cruz. And he's, uh, you know, he's back in the back in action, you know, going to be there for some kind of world title fight at lightweight. Now, lightweight's a hard division, CJ, to get a title, title shot in, right? Because it's undisputed sure. right now. But so, again, like the, what's going on in heavyweight, you know, you still got to fight. And so he's taking on Ramirez, who's a, a, you know, a capable contender, maybe not at the same level as Cruz, but no joke. Uh, should be a good a good fight. I expect there to be action. Um, you know, this is a quality matchup in my mind. It's a fight that I'm intrigued to see because, again, it may not have huge stakes in terms of titles or pound for pound, but Cruz always gives his money's worth. And Flora, uh, uh, his opponent, uh, uh, Ramirez, is there to fight and has been in the ring with some good opponents. Just going to be, I think, a good quality throwdown. And All then, right. uh, you know, you got uh, Jose Valenzuela, the outstanding uh, young uh, prospect, uh, fighting uh, a late replacement, uh, De Los Santos, who in my mind is actually a better opponent and Jezreel Corrales, the former title holder that was bounced off the show, uh, Jose Valenzuela and De Los Santos opens up that pay-per-view. should be a good little fight, too. Undefeated Jose Valenzuela, scoring a ton of knockouts against De Los Santos, 14-1, and who's also a heavy puncher. You know, again, is it the biggest card we've ever seen? No, but I think that PBC has done a good job of matching these fights to give entertainment for your money. Now, I know people have complained it's 
75 bucks, whatever. But you know what? Uh, these fights don't happen without pay-per-view because there's not a network that's supporting it. I think it's a worthwhile card to buy. I'm going to buy it and uh, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to enjoy it. And they strategically put it on Sunday night. Tons of college football all over the TV Saturday night. Only one prominent college football game, and that's LSU and Florida State on Sunday night. So the pay-per-view really in the sports landscape, yes, there's some baseball, but there's no NFL. It's interesting that it's a Sunday night pay-per-view, so just be aware of that. Well, and you I know, the reason for strategy. that also is yeah. because many people are off on Monday given that it's that's Labor Day. That's right, so the holiday. It's, yes. They can treat it like a Saturday night watch their football games on Saturday and, and relax on Sunday and not have to get up early for work on, on, uh, on Monday and still get a good night of uh, sports. All right. One more before we're gone here on the preview. That's Juan Francisco Estrada. Tell me more about his headlining fight in Mexico on DAZN. This will be Saturday night for that main event. Give me something on that here and, and, and what's in the offing should Estrada win and he's heavily favored to win. Tell us more. I mean, Estrada is, uh, I mean, he's, he's been relieved of his various belts or vacated or whatever. He was the, let's back up to March of 2021, had a spectacular rematch against Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. He won the fight by a split decision. He unified his WBA title with Roman Gonzalez, or I take that back. He unified his WBC title with Roman Gonzalez's WBA title. And most people, uh, I thought that it was a really close fight. It was a great fight. Fight of the year candidate wasn't going to trump the third fight between Fury and Wilder, but it was probably second place or third place for the year. Um, I thought that Roman Gonzalez won the fight very strongly. I've written my opinions about that, but be that as it may, as it may Juan Francisco Estrada is a great fighter, a pound for pound level talent, probably a hall of famer. Um, but he hasn't fought since then. They were supposed to have a third fight, him and Roman Gonzalez twice. It was scheduled one time. Uh, I don't remember which the order was, but at one point it was Estrada who got COVID and had a postpone. And then it was, and then it was uh, Chocolatito that got COVID and had to postpone. I, I guess it was in the second time they were supposed to have the fight. He pulled out. Gonzalez ended up fighting uh, uh, Julio Cesar Martinez instead and looked great in that fight. But now he's healthy and he's back. And their camps are conversating about having a third fight again between Roman and Estrada. But because he's been off for so long, he wanted to have another fight in between. So the bottom line is, since their fight, he has... Uh, been stripped of the WBA title because he didn't do the mandatory against their regular title holder, Josh Franco. The WBC he vacated for cockamamie reasons as far as other <laughs> fights that were taking place. He was given the franchise title. He is the ring champion. The bottom line is he goes into this fight on Saturday. It's a hometown fight in Hermosillo, which he has not fought in for a long time, against a fighter named Argy Cortez, you know, just a good, solid guy, but not a, a world beater, 23-2-2. Two He's going to defend the franchise title, whatever, that, whatever that's worth. He'll defend the ring title. Um, but he's the lineal champion at 115 pounds, even if you disagree with the Chocolatito result. And again, he's going to fight this guy, Cortez. That's a 12-rounder Saturday night. And if all goes well for him and he wins and there's no injuries or no, no issues, he theoretically is going to be fighting uh, the third fight against Roman Gonzalez at the end of this year, probably like December I guess it's possible they could push it into the early part of next year, but I'm told they're targeting uh, December. We'll see if Cortez can give him a shot, you know, give him a decent fight. The thing about Cortez, I said, he's got a couple of losses. You have to go all the way back to 2014 and 2015 in his third and fourth professional fights where he lost by a DQ in the third round in one fight, lost a, a majority four round decision in the other fight. And ever since then, he's only got a couple of technical draws. So not a, not a guy with a, you know, a slew of losses, 
Uh, the big problem with his record, if you take a look at it, he really hasn't fought, you know, any, any top guys, opponents that are like three and 26, you know, maybe a 14 and old guy here or there, but largely unknown, untested kind of opponents. And uh, one would assume that with Estrada coming off of the layoff, fighting at home, everything is set up for him with the Roman Gonzalez trilogy fight uh, sitting there on deck. Uh, they're not taking many chances. And uh, it, it should be, you know, a pretty good victory for Estrada to move on to the next fight. And he's heavily favored at uh, minus 1,600 there to get the win against Cortez. And again, that's in Mexico on Saturday night. The zone will televise. Man, it has been a jam-packed show. We've had a ton. Great insight and analysis. Nice interview from you with Clarissa Shields. Uh, Ruiz and King Kong Ortiz is the main event. Sunday night, Fox, Premier Boxing Champions pay-per-view. We're looking forward to that. Anything in closing, Dan, before we get out of here? I would just say we got a big weekend ahead. And just so people know also very quickly, besides the uh, Juan Francisco Estrada defending the, uh, the, the, the title at 115 pounds, that card also happens to have two other title fights if people care. There's a, a women's world title fight in the featherweight division between Erica Cruz and, and Jelena uh, Mernovich. And you also have the vacant 130-pound title uh, of the IBF between uh, Sivananthi Nanshinga from South very, Africa very taking nice. on Hector Thank you. Taking on the undefeated Hector Flores, two undefeated fighters uh, going for that vacant title. So uh, it's like a sneaky, solid zone card that hasn't really gotten a publicity, but uh, it's not there's it's not competing with other big shows on Saturday because Correct. the main show is on Sunday. So uh, I'll be definitely checking out that show on Saturday night on the zone. We will be writing about it, writing about it in the preview and recap mode for all these fights this weekend on bigfightweekend.com. Again, recap podcast off the weekend. Peeps, I again say be patient. It's coming your way Monday on Labor Day uh, when Dan and I are able to get to it and get it out there. Yeah, hey, I got uh, a question. Yeah, please. If we're taping on Labor Day, do I get time and a half? It is labor. Uh, it is labor if that's the case. We'll get with uh, management. We'll renegotiate your deal. We'll see if you uh, get something similar to what Usyk and Joshua are, or uh, Usyk and uh, Fury are asking for at this stage. Uh, we'll find out. We'll get the peeps a Fight Freaks Unite recap uh, off the weekend when it is all done. For now, though, we are good, you and I, I do believe. A jam-packed show. Enjoy the weekend. Everybody be safe for Labor Day. And we'll see if this heavyweight fight, a non-title fight, delivers with some fireworks, and uh, some knockdowns, if not a knockout. We'll find out if Ruiz and Ortiz deliver on that. Dan, thank you. Good stuff. You bet, TJ. Talk to you later. We always appreciate his insight. And again, uh, check out Dan on his Substack, Fight Freaks Unite, BigFightWeekend.com. And again, one more time, we're on the Bet US Boxing Show, a live Friday, 1 Eastern time, uh, previewing the weekend on their platforms and their YouTube channel. We'll make some picks. Dan will go on the record on Ortiz and Ortiz on uh, Ortiz and Ruiz. I'll do the same thing uh, on that Bet US show that is coming. And again, a Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend as well is upcoming. For now, we are good on the Big Fight Weekend preview. Enjoy everything this weekend. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Enjoy the fights. <laughs>